Welcome to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. I'm Amanda. And I'm Elizabeth. Thanks for joining us today. Welcome back to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. In just about every episode since March, we've mentioned something about the weather. However, to fully understand why this spring has been so bad, we we really need to look back almost a year and a half to the spring of 2018. And in doing so, we're going to see how this issue has been compounded by continuously wetter than normal soils. And going into spring of 2019 at almost maximum water holding capacity, there was no room left for spring rains. So to help us reflect on and process the weather events over this period, we've invited back Dr. Aaron Wilson, a researcher with the Bird Polar and Climate Center. So welcome, Dr. Wilson. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me today. So Aaron, if I'm a farmer at this point, I'm getting pretty tired of fighting the weather. The only relief has really been higher crop yields over the past couple years, which has been nice, but given late planting, the dry weather we're seeing now, I'm not even expecting that. So last spring wasn't nearly as bad as this spring. They started out pretty similar. We were stuck in the shop pretty much all of April. Yeah, um, it, it's kind of, uh, you know, thinking about this weather story and its relationship with farming, uh, it's kind of hard to pick a point, I think, to jump in and, and talk about where the these issues really started. I mean, farmers are used to dealing with weather, right? They're used to dealing with adverse weather many times, but certainly it feels that it's been pretty persistent for some time now. In terms of the variability, the amount of rainfall, the on and off switch kind of character to the rain. Uh, so, it, so you know, it, it's not surprising that farmers are kind of getting exhausted of having to deal with these persistent weather issues. So, you know, I, I think a good place to start, we can go all the way back to uh, spring of last year, and you mentioned that uh, kind of the, some of the similarities and the differences, you know, we, we started April in the ninth coldest April on record. Uh, it was also wet, so planting was, was a bit, you know, it started out a bit behind, but for much of Ohio, that kind of switched right at May 1st. Uh, May was the warmest May on record going back to 1895, uh, and it was fairly dry, and so that led to really rapid planting season uh, for most of Ohio. Uh, it stayed a little bit wet and cool across the northern part of the state into about mid-May. So, you know, folks up there that were trying to catch up on hay and things like that, uh, they, they struggled a bit. Um, but overall, you know, the conditions, uh, you know, turned around. We had a decent May and we were able to recover a little bit of, uh, what, you know, what happened in April. Given our crop yields last summer were very good, the early wet and cold followed by the warmer summer didn't affect us too much. But that wasn't necessarily the case for everyone in Ohio. Our Northwest Ohio farmers had a different situation. Yeah, if you look at last summer, it's pretty interesting. In summer 2018 ranks as the 17th warmest on record for Ohio back to 1895. Uh, June was the fourth warmest, and a lot of that warmth throughout the summer was driven by overnight low temperatures. And actually, that helped accelerate the growing degree days, and I think it led to the, you know, the really good conditions really we saw in corn and soybeans for a large portion of the state. Uh, but when we got into July, we actually had a pretty dry month in July. Uh, not unsimilar to, you know, dissimilar to what we're seeing uh, this year a little bit, but, you know, we, um, the dry conditions, especially across the north in areas like Wood County, Huron, uh, uh, Sandusky, uh, really had producers kind of catch, you know, caught off guard because they were still catching up, like I said, uh, from the cold, wet spring. So there was some noted damage uh, to some vegetables up there as well. And then and again, trying to get the first or even second hay cuttings were kind of difficult. 
across across that part of the state. And then we come to last fall, and that's where it really seems this day-to-day struggle begins with wet weather. We were hit early on by some tropical storms, and it just never let up. Yeah, Amanda, you're spot on with that. Um, you know, as you mentioned, autumn 2018 was heavily influenced by tropical activity, so we had two storms, uh, the remnants of two storms. We had tropical storm Gordon and also Hurricane Florence during the month of September. Uh, so while September was, uh, you know, very warm for for Ohio, uh, these rainy systems also pushed last September to our second wettest September on record. And and it, it looked like conditions were, were turning for the better in October a little bit. It got drier. Harvest was, you know, we knew that yields were going to be high. Harvest was looking good. Uh, but by the time we got to November again, we flipped the, the switch with this extreme variability. Uh, we had a wet, cold November, and it left autumn of 2018 ranked as the third wettest on record again over the last 124 years. Uh, so, you know, with with the wet conditions, then you had significant impacts on harvest, particularly soybeans that were kind of lagging already and faced some disease and, and grain quality issues. Uh, we know that there were farmers well into the winter that were still trying to harvest some of the crops. Um, and, and really what the moisture in the autumn did is it really set the stage for these continued problems because uh, by this point, soil moisture and differences compared to average were you know, ranked really high, at least 90th percentile. Uh, and another way to look at that is that last autumn, basically we had, you know, the t- it was within the top 10% of record wet soil moisture already on the ground. And and these conditions, what what was really important about going into winter and spring is it wasn't just Ohio, but it was all points west of Ohio, from Indiana, Illinois, the Great Great Plains, the Southern Plains, just widespread saturated soil conditions uh, that really eventually played a role in what happened this past spring uh, with Ohio. I'm hearing a lot of top 10 (laughs) placings here, and other than yields you know being in kind of the top 10 of the past hundred years or so a lot of these are not ideal necessarily and this is really about the time i realized we were dealing with something not seen before my husband and i have both been around the farm we live on for over a decade and had never seen water out of the creek as high as it did about a year and a half ago and then since then it's happened twice at least twice more Yeah, I don't know that I had really caught on yet. I tend to be oblivious to things and we were just trying to survive harvest. And I usually try not to get too excited and talk about how we've never seen conditions like blank before because I usually get weird looks from farmers who've been around a lot longer than me. But we were starting to hear people saying that. I remember feeling mostly relieved that when Gordon and Florence came through, they didn't bring a lot of wind because we still had so many crops out in the field. Um, And then once we got to November, pretty much everyone gave up on waiting on that harvest window that looking back never really opened up. And I even delivered some E-Fields books, which, you know, comes out in January to guys in combines. And normally we have some stragglers, but that was really when I, I think I started to notice that this was unprecedented. It was more than just the normal late, late harvesting guys in January. There was a good chunk of people still in the fields. And something interesting from the weather perspective as well, as we were heading into fall, from fall into winter, uh, we were anticipating El Nino conditions, uh, which really just describe uh, tropical sea surface temperatures in, in the Pacific, 
Uh, and if they're warmer than average, it has usually an impact on our weather in, here in Ohio. Most of the time in the past, El Nino's mean a drier winter. So there was some hope from, from a weather pattern perspective that as wet as it had been in the fall, that we, we, we could settle down a bit before we got into, say, February, March, when, when the rains would return. But it turned out not to be the case. Yeah, definitely not. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about this past winter? Yeah, so, uh, you know, we really didn't get the dry weather, the dry relief that, that often El Nino's bring. And, uh, you know, winter of 2019 was wet, especially across the southern half of Ohio. Uh, for the entire winter of 2019, again, uh, close to the top 10, it ranks as the 11th wettest on record for Ohio. And pretty much all areas south of I-70 across the state had between one and a half and two times their normal winter precipitation. Uh, there were only the far northwestern counties like Williams and uh, Fulton Lucas counties that experienced uh, below average precipitation for the entire winter. So coming off of a, a fall with 90th percentile soil moisture, uh, this pushed soil moisture across much of the state into that 99th percentile, that top percent of, of soil moisture, essentially, that we've ever seen in terms of saturation. So uh, that really, um, you know, made conditions pretty worse. We did have, uh, I mean, December and February were, were above average, uh, but we also dealt with an extreme cold outbreak around the middle of January, you know, three days where we had wind chill values down around minus 40 to minus 50 degrees Fahrenheit across Northwest Ohio. Um, and, and honestly, we had a lot of freeze thaw cycles in the winter. So uh, we saw pictures out of North, Northeast Ohio with uh, alfalfa pushed up, you know, four or five inches out of the ground uh, because of these uh, frequent freeze thaws. Um, and so there was just the, the, the pressure from the weather standpoint just continued throughout the winter. Yeah, that's really interesting. It was a really tough winter and we it just really didn't stop when we got to spring. And anyone who knows me knows one of my favorite things to talk about is the weather. And I, to be quite honest, am getting tired of talking about the spring weather, but let's go ahead and talk about it again. <laughs> yeah. um, if you're one that really likes records, the spring is one that is quite interesting because there are some quite astounding rainfall numbers. There really are, and, and, and this is also an example of where, um, you know, statewide numbers may hide some of the details. And if we look at Ohio for the March through May, this is what we call a climatological uh, spring. Uh, it only ranks as the 36th warmest, and, and more importantly here, the 32nd wettest for the state. Uh, but spring rains were really targeted over west central and northwest Ohio. Uh, so each of these uh, areas ranked seventh and third wettest on record for the spring, respectively. Uh, we were looking at places like St. Mary's, Ohio, uh, in Auglaise County, for instance. Uh, we have a community collaborative rain, hail, and snow network. These are citizen science observers reporting over 20 inches of rain between March 1st and May 31st. Put that in perspective, that's over half of their, over half of the typical amount of precip that falls in an entire year that came down in just three months. Wow, that's insane. It, it, it's quite <laughs> a lot. And, and we, had, we had multiple observers across West Central and Northwest Ohio in excess of 15 inches of rain. Um, not only the amount, when we got into May, it was just the persistent rainfall. Uh, we saw, you know, some stations reporting rain on 20 or 20 to 26 days out of the month. Wow. 
Um, and and remember, I said that the saturated soil conditions weren't just in Ohio, but they were also across the entire Great Plains and South Central part of the U.S. And what that led to is, is um, repeated development of storm systems that we moved up into the Great Lakes. We'd have a cold front come through and bring precip, and then that cold front would go through and move back as a warm front and bring rain the next day. And then we'd have that repeated pattern because we had such a large part of the country covered with very saturated soils, it just allowed for persistent development of storms throughout the spring. Uh, so, you know, one way we can put it all into perspective of what we've talked about now, you know, from June 2018 through May of 2019, uh, this is now the wettest June to May 12-month period on record, uh, with a little over 51 inches of rainfall on average for the state. Wow. And now here we are in the summer, and of course we're seeing signs of heat and drought stress and I talked to a farmer the other day he said you know in the spring every time there was a chance of rain it rained and now it seems like every time there's a chance of rain it passes us by and we've got the shallow roots and compaction because of the wet weather so it's just compounding this issue um, so where are we are at right now I'm going into looking back at July as far as heat and rainfall yeah, so, you know, like you said, we sort of, um, you know, we've switched to our, what I would call a typical summertime pattern. It certainly is typical. Rainfall in the summer becomes much more isolated and scattered. Uh, places within the county receive a lot of rain and others get nothing. Uh, that's not uncommon for this time of year. Where it is falling, uh, it's falling on primarily saturated ground. Where it hasn't been falling, you're seeing the heat stress uh, because of the shallow roots and stuff that you mentioned. Uh, June ranked is the fifth wettest on record. Again, one of these top 10 records here. It was a tad on the cool side of average. Uh, you know, with, with a lot of rainfall, it's gonna keep your daytime highs a little cooler than it otherwise would be. Uh, but really the Northeast part of the state now picked up on the heaviest in June. So we had places up there, uh, you know, seeing more than 10 inches of rain in the month of June. As we turned into July, some interesting things have happened. Uh, you know, in, in addition to the typical pattern, uh, much of the state running two to eight degrees above average. A lot of that at night, but also our daytime highs have been a bit on the uh, above average as well. And we have this large area of Northwest Ohio that's lacking corn this year. And corn's really efficient at pulling moisture from the subsurface, transpiring it through the leaves and evaporating into the atmosphere. And what that does is it has a local cooling effect. Um, Without that corn this year, we're not seeing that local cooling effect. So if you look at uh, temperatures compared to average across Northwest Ohio, the differences to climatological norms are the, are the greatest. And it's because they're not seeing that local cooling effect. Combine that with the fact that the canopy is not closed, the sun's reaching and just baking that surface, it's all the more reason why it's important for, I think, farmers to think about the cover crops and getting things, you know, getting that covered is certainly gonna help on that side of things. Uh, so we, you know, as we've headed into July now, we've got a lot of areas that are a bit on the dry, could, could use a nice healthy drink of water. Um, and, and that's kind of where we stand right now. So it's kind of hard to imagine that all this wet weather, right, now you get into a, a single month where, wow, I've got some rainfall deficits that are starting to have an impact as well. And from a farming perspective, how do you, how do you manage that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you've mentioned that before about corn having that cooling effect and how it's affected our 
climate over the last few years, especially in the Corn Belt. And I just think it's amazing that it has that impact on, and now that we don't have that in Northwest Ohio, you know, and that's, you know, we're just coming off of the Climate Smart um, event and some of the things we learned there, it's a time of extremes, it seems like. Yeah, very much so. So, and if you, you know, we know that our off-season precipitation is increasing, our fall and our spring. Uh, so, so you know, again, one, one of the things we think about is, okay, was the spring 2019 caused by climate change? We don't like to approach it that way, right? We like to say, uh, is spring 2019 more likely to happen in the future based on the conditions we've seen? And that's certainly what the trends indicate. This, doesn't, this may seem like an unprecedented one-off situation this year, uh, but when we look at, at the recent statistics on precip, we see we're being challenged not only by quantity, but the fact that more is falling in off-season when we don't have crops planted or we need to get field work done. Uh, and then even in the summertime, we can come up with these short-term water shortages, uh, or in this case, where we do have some extreme delays in planting, just a little bit of dryness can cause some big impacts. So these are certainly things I think we you know, need to keep in mind uh, you know, when we're thinking about you know, adapting or building resilience to, to to this type of condition in Ohio. Okay, Aaron. So we know that we've we've got an interesting situation. We had a lot of crops planted late. Um, can you give us an idea of what our fall is going to look like? Because whether or not these crops make is going to be really hinging on what the fall looks like. Yeah, certainly. And um, you know, er early signs from the Climate Prediction Center are um, a little bit stronger for te uh, temperature. It does look like temperatures will average above normal. Uh, for that September, October, and November timeframe. Uh, it's probably a little too, tell, uh, too early to tell on precip, uh, precipitation right now. Uh, but one of the interesting things is, and we, we're hearing a lot, a lot of talk about freeze dates, and people are concerned, you know, if I get an early freeze on top of what's already happened, that can be completely devastating, even worse than what we've already seen. Um, in general, freeze dates have, uh, over the last 20, 30 years, they have trended later. So from a climate perspective, we do have that on our side in terms of what we can bank on. And of course, it's, it's a little too early to tell exactly when the freeze will occur right now, um, but it's certainly, you know, using those long-term trends, um, it's, it's more likely that, that our freeze won't be early. It'll at least be, you know, on time to, to a little bit later, most likely. We have some resources up from the Climate Smart meeting so yeah, we have a summary of the meeting, uh, the Climate Smart meeting at u.osu.edu forward slash climate smart. Uh, so you can get on there and you can see the recording, uh, the slides of the presenters, uh, and, and some great information on, on uh, you know, ways of building resilience in these types of events. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for your time today. Hopefully the next time we talk to you, we're gonna be talking about how we had beautiful, well-timed rains through the rest of the season and a lovely long fall with limited rain to get our crops out. Um, but I have a feeling if we're calling you on you again, that probably won't have been the case. <laughs> well, in either way, I look forward to our next discussion. Thanks for listening to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. Join us again in two weeks for our next episode.